So everybody makes fun of pollsters until they actually talk to pollsters. And I always laugh to myself because even when I feel I'm doing a little bit of uh, mockery, I say to myself, well, you know, at some level, I do believe in them uh, because generally when the elections are happening, uh, they're generally within like a point or two of the actual results. And one of the people who's consistently within a, a point or two is the fellow that I want you to meet from time to time on this show. His name is David Coletto, and he's the chief at Abacus Data. He's got he's got a bunch of titles, but he's he basically the boss, and that makes it a whole lot easier for me to deal with him because he doesn't have to worry about what the boss is going to say about what he's saying. He is the boss. Boss Coletto, welcome back to the the Charles Adler Show. Hey Charles, great to be here. Thanks for thanks for that. So, David, um, I get the impression that you may be one of the people surprised by your latest poll, which you've done uh, for the, the Toronto Star, uh, the latest poll showing, and uh, we'll put the, the graphic up for those people who have the uh, pleasure of watching this on, on video. This is about uh, committed uh, voter intention, uh, which appears to be now on the decline for the Conservatives uh, who were just a couple of weeks ago up uh, 14 points on the uh, on the Liberals, and now they appear to be up 10. If I'm out by a point or two, please please let me know uh, you're a meticulous guy. You're the pollster, and I don't want to take anything out of out of context here. So, what are we looking at? Yeah, well, to your point, I was surprised, and um, you know, because we had seen for for a number of months now a, a consistent conservative lead, and there's still a lead. They've got a 10 point lead right now, but when you go from a 19 point lead, Charles it was 19 points two weeks ago to a 10 point, um, and the change is outside the margin of error of any survey. You've got to ask yourselves, why is this happening? And, and you've got to say, well, something's clearly happening out there. And, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, um, at least for now, and this is one survey, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this is a new trend until we get some more data. But right now, anytime I see a five-point drop for any party and a four-point increase for one in the course of two weeks, um, there's something going on. And, and I think that's really what I was trying to figure out in this survey. So let me just uh, try to be uh, as abundantly clear as we can be. Uh, did you say that the Conservatives were 19 points ahead of the Liberals just two weeks ago? It was. They were. And it was the largest lead we have ever measured for the Conservatives okay. in any survey I've done in 13 years at Abacus. So, so they had opened up this big lead um, that, that you know, had them ahead in every region of the country except for Quebec and the Liberals, you know, falling well back. In all so I don't, I don't want to pretend to be a pollster. I don't want to say that I've got your, your training, your background, your doctorate, anything like that. But just as a Canadian, okay, and as a Canadian who pays maybe maybe a little more attention than the average Canadian to these things, uh, knowing both uh, both parties well, uh, knowing all parts of the country, uh, the only part of the country that I'm, I'm not 100% familiar with is Atlantic Canada, but I've worked everywhere else and stay in touch with everyone else. Um, it's hard for me to believe that the Liberals could be 19 points behind the Conservatives, just as it would be, it would be hard for me to believe that the, the Conservatives would be 19 points and the Liberals. I wonder if you could just give me an, an overview of, of where these parties generally stand, regardless of whether the leader is, say, someone relatively weak like uh, Stefan Dion or, or Michael Ignatieff uh, or, or an Andrew Scheer on the other side. How, how far apart is the separation in general, regardless of who the leader is? I mean, we've seen, I think, over the last eight years in particular, um, and I think there was a there was a blip 
for four years when the Liberals fell to third and, and that horrible election that, that um, Michael Ignatiev ran in 2011 that, that put Jack Layton and the New Democrats into official opposition, that the Liberals have, as, as some say, they're the natural governing party of Canada. And so there's a, a natural uh, advantage that they have, but the Conservatives have also been able to hold, um, even in their worst days, a third of the electorate. Um, and so they've got a, a very high floor but what the Conservatives have been challenged with is, is trying to push that ceiling up. And I think over the last uh, basically year and a half, um, ever since the cost of living crisis really took effect as interest rates started to rise and people got deeply anxious about that, um, all eyes turned to the government and their inability to really do anything about it because to do anything, you, you usually are going to have to fuel inflation even more. Um, and so something I've turned inflationitis uh, took hold. And that really is, is devastating to incumbent government. So for the last year and a half, we've seen people's perception of the prime minister deteriorate. The government's approval rating has dropped to basically the same level. And the overall mood of the country um, remains quite, quite dire, right? People, when we ask them, what's keeping you up at night? Cost of living, housing, uh, food prices, fuel prices, all of those things are front and center. And so what's happened is, because I think in part the Conservatives, frankly, have been very much focused when they're when they're on their game on both housing and the cost of living. They've been able to, to take that that desire for change and at least for now and and perhaps more so two weeks ago than, than maybe even today, have been able to, um, to to pull that vote and get in a place where they haven't been in a really long time. And that is in a position to, you know, if an election were today and people voted the way they tell me they vote, um, they'd likely win a, a majority government. So all of that is, is I think, what's going on. But I think in the last few weeks, what our poll suggests, and it's just one poll, and we'll, we'll have to wait to see if this continues, is um, I always like to say Canadians are actually smarter than we think they are. They're paying some attention to what's going on. And I think over the last few weeks, the Conservatives have given many of those what I call soft change voters, those who want change but aren't entirely comfortable with the Conservatives, some reason to doubt um, that the Conservatives are ready for prime time. And that's why I think you've seen this, this slight correction uh, in our numbers. It's still a Conservative lead. They still lead by 10 points. But as I said earlier, and you mentioned, it's not 19 points anymore. Well, if it can go, if it can go let's, just, let's just say that the poll is, is accurate, okay? Because uh, I wouldn't be talking to you if you didn't have a good uh, record for accuracy. So... If it can go from a 19-point lead to a 10-point lead in just two weeks, wouldn't that suggest that all of this is much more volatile than many thought? And wouldn't it suggest that for the Conservatives to be complacent that uh, about the notion that two years from now, and it's, it's likely we'll have an election, that, um, that, that it's a sure win, whether it's a majority-minority, wouldn't you say that when when things are this volatile, complacency is drop dead dumb? It is, and and being cocky and and too confident um, gets you into trouble, right? And we know that that's everyone can kind of find examples in their life. I think when that's happened, and and the Conservatives have had a really good uh, summer and then a fall where the polls have had them, not just ours, well ahead of the Liberals. Um, but I think there's a few things that are important to to, to just keep in mind. The first is despite the fact that we've seen the Conservatives drop and the Liberal vote intention numbers increase, 
Uh, the Liberals shouldn't take full solace in this. I mean, uh, the, the, the Prime Minister's personal numbers, the government's approval rating, the mood of the country hasn't improved at all, really. And so what I think this is a reflection of is still a deep desire for change in the country. Eight years is a long time for people to, 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 to see one person in, the, in terms of the prime minister and the government. There's fatigue out there, but there's also deep anxiety and change for change alone um, doesn't always happen. And I think you can point to a number of, of examples where uh, the electorate says on the one hand, yeah, I really want change, but on the other, I'm not convinced that, that the change that is on offer is worth perhaps the risk. And I think that's what 2024 is going to be about. It's going to be about both sides of this political fight, um, making the case for one, uh, the Conservatives have to demonstrate they're acceptable and a safe alternative. And for the Liberals, because I don't think they're going to easily change the, the desire for change, that's hard to do, they're going to have to better define what that alternative uh, to them actually is going to mean for people. And I think you're starting to see them up their game in the last few weeks on that. So, David Coletto of Abacus Data, let, let's talk about uh, the mindset of, of Canadians and, and, and where it goes up and down. But let, let's not do any of that before we look at uh, the various regions of the country. I mean, all of us are pro-national unity. Uh, that's just something that we all believe in. But we also believe that, as uh, Joe Clark once said, uh, sort of we're a community of, of communities and uh, different people in different communities have uh, different uh, core values, uh, conservative and or Liberals. So let, let's take a look at the map uh, to see how this breaks down. Um, I would uh, want you to tell me specifically, uh, because uh, the battlegrounds are, are generally in, in, in British Columbia and Ontario, I wonder if you could just focus, uh, David Coletto, on where this horse race is at in B.C. and Ontario, and if you can drill down and, and you know, give me nine, the 905 area code, yeah. uh, you know, the GTA, that would be even better. But just for, for now, just to start this discussion off, BC and Ontario, what are the trends telling David Coletto? Yeah, so if we go to the West Coast in British Columbia, I mean, for a long time, we've been seeing um, the Liberals really struggling there. Um, these most recent numbers where we've got the Conservatives ahead by 10 over the NDP and the, and, and the um, you know, Liberals basically tied with the New Democrats in second are, is an improvement for the Liberals. It's a, it's a bit of a drop for the Conservatives. But, but still is indicating that, that, you know, the Liberals need to do better in BC. They've got a lot of seats in and around the lower mainland, around Vancouver, that are fundamental. They actually picked up a seat in the last election in that region, and they've got to be able to hold those if they're going to hold government. And the Conservatives remain strong there, but I think, I think there's indications perhaps that, that that strength isn't as solid as we thought. If we move into Ontario, and we, we still got the Conservatives ahead by nine, that's a solid lead. Um, just to give you context, in the last federal election, the Liberals won Ontario by four points. So we do still see a big swing. But in that GTA, that, that all-important 905-416 uh, part of the province, um, it's it's very much competitive. Um, and so, you know, if an election were today, there would be a lot of really close seats in and around places like Mississauga, Brampton, uh, where I grew up in York Region. And and that's that's really where the fight is. You mentioned only Ontario, BC, but I also think it's important to bring in Atlantic Canada into this because I think, you know, if you recall, the Liberals won every seat in Atlantic Canada in 2015, and they've been able to hold on to most of those seats. But it really was um, the carbon tax that came into effect in Atlantic Canada in July that, that really started to move the numbers in that region in the Conservatives' favour. 
And we've got smaller sample sizes in Atlantic Canada, so it's hard to, to, to gauge like accurately what's going on there. But I think we should watch what's happening in Atlantic Canada. It, it may be um, you know, a really important part of the story about how the next election goes, because if the Conservatives can, can win five to 10 seats in that region, that makes the math incredibly hard for the Liberals because picking up other seats elsewhere, um, given, their, given the challenges they face will become uh, difficult. But at the moment, if I ask David Coletto the question about the major battlegrounds, which are still the suburbs of Vancouver and the suburbs of Toronto, is it a horse race in those battlegrounds today? It, it is-ish, I guess, is the answer. I, I think the Conservatives have still got an advantage there, which is why I think with even with these numbers, they'd be you know just at majority government uh, kind of territory. So this is better news for Liberals, but it's not great news. Um, and it does mean the Conservatives have still made some gains and, and there's still lots of work for Liberals to do. All right, so let's uh, talk about the mindset as uh, promised. Seems to me that uh, Justin Trudeau's negatives are high. I look at Polyev's negatives. Uh, they look pretty high as well. But I need to know as I as I go forward, what is it about the characteristics? And we'll take a, a look at you. We've got a Polyev uh, chart uh, available to us, uh, thankfully, from, from Abacus Data. What is it that we see, David Coletto, from your perspective, when you look at Pierre Polyev? What aspects of his character become tedious, old, annoying, and a real negative for the party going forward. What is what does he have that is going against him? We'll talk about what he has going for him. Happy to do that. But at the moment, what aspects of his character don't play well over the long term? Well, I think I, I you know this is maybe more psychology than political science, but I think you know his his vulnerabilities are perhaps his his confidence. I know that sounds sometimes strange. We want our leaders to be confident. Um, but his confidence and his somewhat aggression, right, um, I think are are really some of his vulnerabilities. I also think there's evidence, and that's why I, I raised it in, in my analysis of this poll, is that the last few weeks, when they've gotten off of focusing on housing and affordability and instead start talking about or voting against, for example, uh, the Canada-Ukraine Free Trade Agreement, or even yesterday in the House of Commons, he's, you know, he describes Ukraine as some far off place that we, we shouldn't care about. I think he starts to lose a lot of moderate kind of middle of the road voters who who care about that issue. It's not the top issue. It's certainly not. But I think, you know, by and large, most people still think that Vladimir Putin is a threat to, to global security, to even Canadian security, and that there's that Ukraine stands as that 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 bulwark against kind of this this you know, uh, authoritarian aggression and, and expansion that we see not just from Russia, but from China and elsewhere. So I think every time you dabble into some of these issues that aren't mainstream, that aren't at the top of mind for people, it does it does create um, a risk for, for the conservative leader. And even on an issue like, you know, defunding the CBC, you know, I, I shared some other data on my, on my uh, Twitter feed today um, that, that looked at whether people think, um, well, we asked people, what do you think a conservative government would do and should it do um, a number of things? And first of all, most people aren't that aware of, of exactly what a conservative government would do, which is an indication that, that that number is soft as more and more people start to actually assess, okay, what is a conservative government going to do? Do they land in a positive place? But the second point is on something even like defunding the English CBC, 
most Canadians actually say, I don't want them to do that, including almost half of those who today say they'd vote Conservative. So there's still a long road ahead for the Conservatives. And if they if they they get off of their disciplined focus on, on both housing and affordability, which I think they've effectively done for much of the summer and into the fall, which is why they are ahead in the polls, there's there's big risk for them there. And, and I think the Liberals have realized they have to start demonstrating to people and, and, and telling that story themselves. So it won't surprise you that uh, I was considered a good friend of the Conservatives for, for many, many years, right? Um, and, and one of the things that I used to have uh, chats with uh, certain people who were involved in, in leadership is I used to say to them, uh, the Liberals are, are well ahead of the Conservatives when it comes to women. And uh, women are not big on people who are not empathetic. And when you kick the crap out of institutions, like the courts, like the CBC, people start to think that you've got a bit of a, an empathy problem. So I know that for some people, the, the phrase defunding the uh, CBC is, is rather benign. But to a lot of other people, whether they're fans of the CBC or not, defunding is the same as ending. And Pierre Polyev, when he's just freelancing a little bit off the, off the talking points, does seem to salivate over the idea of ending the CBC. Would you say, David Coletto, based on your experience, that that is flirting significantly with an empathy problem, especially among the women demographics? Yeah, no, I think there's something there, uh, Charles. I think, I think you know, it, it seems to me as an observer of politics that, that yeah, Pierre Polyev does revel at at going after you know particularly like big L liberal institutions. He he he's um, you know sometimes feels like he's got a chip on his shoulders. And I think what's so important is to, to so many voters, women and, and a lot of men, frankly, is not just empathy. I think that's really important that people and that's where I think the prime minister has fallen down a little bit. Is that that for a long time people felt like he didn't really care uh, about the struggles they they felt they were experiencing. But that broader question of, you know, what is my motivation? Um, why do I want to be prime minister? What is it that I actually want to do? And I think politicians generally these days don't get much credit. Uh, most people think they're in it for themselves or they're in it for their friends. I mean, look what's going on with Doug Ford uh, in Ontario as an example. But I think when it gets personal, when people think you're out for like a personal vendetta to, to make up for, for past wrongs, um, you know, perhaps except for some Republicans in the United States and Canada, I don't think that's where most people are. And so the mindset is one focus on the things I care about, uh, focus on that. And I think when conservatives were doing that, they were they were doing very well. The moment they get off that, they start to start to see their support um, soften and, and even leave them. So I want to suggest to you that Ukraine is a sacred cow in this country, uh, not just because so many Ukrainians live in Canada, especially where the Conservative Party is based, uh, which means West, Western Canada, there is nobody, and I mean nobody, in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta who don't have Ukrainians in the family or among their personal friendships or neighbors or teachers or doctors or nurses. You can't throw a rock in Western Canada without hitting someone who either is a Ukrainian or someone who is closely identified with and friends with Ukrainians. Ukraine is not a Canadian province, but I would suggest to you that Ukraine is very, very much sacred to most Canadians, especially in Western Canada. 
Let me suggest that there's no way that Pierre Polyev would diminish Ukraine by calling it just a, a far-off foreign land if he wasn't a little bit complacent about where he stands in the polls. David Coletto, your take. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I can't get into his head and understand, you know, the the reasoning behind that that comment or or even some of the, the positioning the party's taken recently on it. But I agree with you. I think, I think not just because, and I've got two colleagues on my team who are Ukrainian. One of them has family who lives right on the border. I, I know it's a real personal, emotional issue to see what's going on there, and and in, and sometimes how how short sighted we we just become and we forget about some of the things that are still happening in that part of the world and how threatening I think it is not just to people who live there, uh, but to the to world security, to, to the, the world order. And and so I think that is a perfect example of how it, it won't happen overnight. But if it becomes a pattern that, you know, uh, a leading person and a leading party who's, who's ready to form government uh, in the sense that people are at least seriously considering it, are going to start holding them to, to a little bit more scrutiny and and asking themselves like is this are these serious people are they going to do the kinds of things we need them to do knowing full well canadians know full well we don't have the military might of the united states or, or many other european democracies but we also have values and i think when you when you when those values clash that's when conservatives get in trouble is is, is they win on things like the economy on on who do you think is going to make your life more affordable? But but I think under underlying that there's still some unease about whether you know uh, Mr. Polyev, many members of his caucus are are aligned with the majority viewpoint of the country. And I think yeah, so and I think Ukraine could be a perfect proxy uh, for that going forward. Speaking on a uh, personal level, uh, it's impossible for someone like me who has spent so much of my adult life in Western Canada not to have close relationships with Ukrainians. I would say I have close relationships with a, a minimum of a dozen. There's a dozen I could name right now. That is, if I were not to, you know, protect the names of the people that I know. That's that's not what this show is is all about. But suffice it to say that I am really no different than most people who live in Western Canada. All of us, all of us, have close relationships with with Ukrainians. Um, when I hear Polyev, as I say, minimize Ukraine, a country that was invaded by an oppressor, an autocrat by the name of Vladimir Putin. And when I'm aware, as most Ukrainians certainly are and friends of Ukrainians are, that Vladimir Putin's media in Russia mocks Ukraine every day and openly talks about killing as many Ukrainians as possible, even killing their plant life, killing their agrarian life, killing everything, wiping them out. There's a, a, a sadistic streak that's maybe more than just a streak. There's a sadistic core to much of the Putin media commentary. Most Ukrainians and friends of Ukrainians are aware of that. So when you put that in the showcase, and then you have the leader of the Conservative Party in Canada essentially minimizing Ukraine and calling it this, this far-off foreign land, that, to me, borders on cruelty, if not sadism. I know it's a tough question to ask a pollster, but I need to ask you, uh, Dr. Coletto, is cruelty the kind of characteristic that would turn off a number of Canadians, especially if they had that exposure to what feels like cruelty more than just once in a while? But if that became attached significantly to Pierre Polyev, cruelty. 
Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, or another way to look at it is, you know, mean spiritedness or just being mean. Um, I, I don't, I can't think of many people who want anyone who has any influence over their life to, to, to be looking at the world through that lens. Um, so, so, you know, uh, you know, it's hard to me to disagree with you, you Charles, uh, just as a human, let alone as somebody who's trying to understand, you know, social psychology and, and what make pe what makes people think and do what they what they do. Um, but I do think that's that's the Achilles heel of 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 conservative politicians generally is just the sense that they they have this potential like mean streak. I remember it was a while ago now, Theresa May, the former conservative prime minister in the United Kingdom when she before she, long before she was prime minister and the conservatives were, were always struggling to beat Tony Blair. We're talking about the 90s and early 2000s. She described the UK Tories as the mean or the nasty party, right? That party that just at every turn found something negative to say and, and just didn't seem to, to have the compassion or the empathy that people were looking for. I think that is consistently something that, that conservative parties struggle with. And, I, and I'm not painting every conservative with that brush or thinking that every member of parliament is a conservative or every conservative supporters there. But I think it's something that they've got to be very careful about. And they're up against a leader in Justin Trudeau who, yeah, he's, he's down and people are, are fatigued and tired of him. But one of the strengths that Mr. Trudeau continues to have is, is, the, is the belief by most people that at, at the core, he's a good person and cares. And so that's a contrast that I think the liberals would love to be able to have. And to your point, I don't know why Mr. Polyev is going down that road. It is uh, hard for me to believe that uh, the Liberals could actually win an election if Gen Z votes Conservative. When mm -hmm. I saw in your poll a little while ago, I'm not talking about the latest poll, but uh, a little while ago, that Gen Z was, was going to the Conservatives, I said to myself, uh, this is real trouble for the Liberals. Where do we stand right now on the Gen Z vote? Well, that's been one of the biggest shifts in the last two weeks actually is, is as of this right now the most recent survey we actually have the liberals up among that under 30 crowd um it's been a challenging uh cohort for them to, to speak to i mean if, if you look at the issues that young people care about they're the same as older folks but it's more intense it's housing it is trying to make you know sense of the cost of living it's it's worried that they're going to get evicted um and that they'll never buy be able to buy a home Again, Mr. Polyev has been speaking directly to them for months uh, and, and months. His, his, that video he put out, you can, you can quibble with the facts of that video, but it was very effective communications. And so, and so if you understand where, where younger people are coming from, you know, there's no generation um, that cares more about equity and, and social justice, that, that sees the world as a place where everybody has got an equal shot. Um, and so, yeah, when you get into a values fight, when you're when you when that's where I think again um, the conservatives are in trouble and they've had a real hard time over the past number of elections with connecting with young Canadians and and maybe and maybe they're losing um, some ground there right now because they certainly gained some over the last few months. So when I think about some of those uh, battlegrounds uh, in uh, the suburbs of, of Toronto, known broadly as the 905 area code. And when I think about the, the suburbs of Vancouver, and just once again, I mean, I, I've lived in, 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 in all of these places. Um, most uh, Before I moved uh, back to, to Manitoba, I was living in the, the suburbs of Vancouver. So I asked myself the question, do the people I know in these battlegrounds in Canada, and I don't mean just know of them, I know the people I know, knowing how they feel about 
the Republican right wing, the American right wing, and it goes, of course, beyond the, the politicians. It goes to Fox News and Tucker Carlson. I'm talking about the right wing ecosystem. When I, when, I, when I know how these people feel about that, and I know that they're paying attention at some point to the idea that Pierre Polyev's conservatives uh, not only tolerate the American right wing, but actually identify with it. I ask myself the question, are these people likely to change their minds and go from the liberals to the conservatives? So I wonder if, if as a pollster, I wonder if you've done enough drilling into data to let us know whether or not identification with the American right wing is a problem for Pierre Polyev. I think it I think it is. I think any association with Donald Trump or or sort of the mega Republicans or conservatives is a problem because most Canadians aren't there, right? When we ask people in Canada, what is your view of Donald Trump? You barely get nine, ten percent saying they've got a positive view of the former president. So this is not someone who has anywhere near the appeal that he does in the United States. And and I think there's a real threat there, um, you know, for for the conservatives. Again, I look at, I, I get to ask thousands of people, hundreds of questions every week. And what I believe to be true about Canadians is that for the most part, the vast majority are just moderate, um, middle of the road folks who, who just want their lives to be simpler and easier, um, who are going through a really difficult moment right now. For many, if you're under 40, it's, it's, it's the first time in your life where you've seen prices rise as fast as they have, your wages aren't keeping up, and you're just not sure how you're going to get above water, there's no real interest in the kind of things that, that, that you know, the culture wars that, that I think you're seeing it, it kind of play themselves out in the United States. That being said, I, I do see, um, you know, a, a shift in the mindset of Canadians from one where I think, you know, collectivism and if you, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats mentality has shifted to what one that's much more scarcity uh, focused, right? People are worried about whether they're going to be able to afford the home they live in, whether they, um, if they have, and lucky enough to have a family doctor, if that doctor retires, where's the next one going to come? Um, so there is certainly a little bit more of defensiveness. And when we see that, and others have pointed this out in some interesting academic research, is we're show, we're, we're, we are seeing the rise of zero-sum thinking, where if I am losing, it's because somebody else is winning. And in that kind of environment, that kind of deeply polarizing, tension-filled type of politics can find appeal. And so the goal here, I think, is, is to, first of all, remind ourselves we're super lucky to be in Canada. We're super lucky to live here than pretty much anywhere else. Yes, times are, are tough, but most people have it still pretty good. That being said, I think it's, it's a real focus on, on, on what, what happens next. And, and that's where you know my criticism of, of the Liberal government really focuses is that I don't think most people have any sense of what this government wants to achieve. And in the absence of a clear story and, and narrative around what they want to do, um, Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives have found uh, a large enough audience that would elect them uh, the next government. Just uh, one question I have for you, David Coletto, of Abacus Data on the math that matters. And that's uh, the math that shows up on Election Day. We've had uh, various campaigns where... The, the liberals are, are are trailing, and all of a sudden, the issue in people's minds is, oh, wait a minute, uh, does this mean the conservatives uh, could, could win power? And when NDP voters, some of whom are very, very loyal to the NDP, others who just park themselves with the NDP in between elections, when some of those voters ask themselves the question, is my NDP vote 
going to help the Conservatives? They answer with, I guess I better vote for the Liberals, regardless of whether or not I like the leader, regardless of whether or not I identify with the Liberal Party. They're the only guys who can stop the Conservatives. Based on what you know right now and the data you're looking at right now, might the question, are we in danger of electing a Conservative government, might that be a ballot issue for a number of people on the centre-left? I think it could be. Um, I think we've seen it in other jurisdictions. Um, it, you know, it, as I said, it's it's not just uh, enough to have a desire for change. There has to be a sense that there's a an acceptable alternative out there, and there are a lot of voters right now parking themselves with the with the New Democrats, with the Greens, with the Bloc, even who, yeah, they they would not be happy uh, if the Conservatives won, even if they aren't fully engaged in what a conservative government would mean. And I think that's still the key thing to take away from all the research you see is as much as we, you know, focus and and obsess sometimes about the horse race numbers, the reality is, you know, probably a third of people who will end up voting haven't given all that much thought to what the next government should be or who it should be led by. And, And that may not happen until a campaign. So what we're really measuring now is certainly um, how people feel about the incumbent, but increasingly, as more and more people, and we've, we've been measuring this now the last few weeks, come to believe that the Conservatives are likely to win the next election, that's going to mean more scrutiny for them. So I think, so the, the big takeaway of, of this most recent survey is, is, a, is a big, uh, bright, shining, flashing light at, at Conservatives to say, if you think you're going to be able to take Canadians for granted, that they're not going to pay attention and, and really scrutinize you, um, and you're just going to confidently go ahead and do what you want to do, you may be surprised by the result, and you may find yourself uh, on the losing end of another election to Mr. Trudeau. David uh, Coletto, we're never surprised uh, to hear you offer us incitive, insightful and incisive uh, analysis. Uh, thanks very much for exciting the senses and uh, for being a good friend of the program. Appreciate this very much. Thank you, Charles. Good to see David Coletto is in the nation's capital. He is based in Ottawa. And he's the boss. He's got all kinds of interesting titles, but he's the he's the big boss at Abacus Data, uh, one of the most uh, credible pollsters in the world. And as I said to David a few moments ago, proud to have his friendship when it comes to doing doing these shows. The latest poll for those of you who are joining us late, as it were, <laughs> even in the podcast world, that does happen. Uh, is the uh, Conservatives just a couple of weeks ago were nineteen points nationally, nineteen points ahead of the Liberals, and that number is down to 10. So that's a significant decline in just a a two-week period, and that's why I think David Coletto was saying, if you guys are getting a little complacent, might be a mistake. David Coletto of Abacus Data, thank you so much for joining me, and thanks so much for telling your friends, your neighbors, everyone in whichever community you play in about the Charles Adler Show whether it's Spotify or Apple or Google, it doesn't matter to me. Thank you for joining us. I'm Charles Adler.